I want to invite you to take your Bible this morning, and let's look together at Isaiah 64. Praying the Scriptures is a very beneficial exercise, and there's perhaps no prayer of Scripture that would be more fitting, more needful in this hour than Isaiah 64.1. Oh, that you, God, would rend the heavens and come down. Isaiah knew that he and his people needed exactly what we need today, and that is for God to show up in power. Three times in the first three verses of Isaiah 64, Isaiah uses the words, at your presence, speaking of the presence of God. And so it's no, he's not keeping it a secret. He, he longs for this encounter with the living Lord. He desires for God to show up. He desires to, to see Him in all of His glory and all of His splendor and to see God do what only God can do. Isaiah is praying fervently God would make His presence known. Because he knew that when God's people, when any people come into the presence of God, that people are changed. And situations are changed and circumstances are changed. I read a quote by Franklin Graham and he said, There's not a single thing that God cannot change, that He cannot control, and that He cannot conquer because He is the living Lord. And I believe there's, that's true. There's not a single thing that you're facing, that I'm facing. There's not a single thing our church is facing. There's not a single thing this community's facing. There's not a single thing this country is facing that Jesus Christ can't can change, control, and conquer. There's not one thing. It doesn't matter what the prognosis is. It doesn't matter what the doctor said. It doesn't matter what the politicians have said. It doesn't matter what the other side has said. It doesn't matter what the devil has said. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what you say. There's not a single thing that God can't change, control, or conquer. Because He's the living Lord. He is the living Lord Jesus Christ. And if each of us, each of us, man and woman, boy and girl, If each of us would encounter Jesus Christ, our lives would be changed. If we as a church family, if we as a collective hope, we encounter Christ, we will be changed. Our community would be changed. I believe with all of my heart that typical American Christianity is just not enough to meet the challenge of our time. This self-serving, cater to ourselves, this what's in it for me, this no standard, this no commitment, this no sacrifice, this everybody does what's right in their own eyes, this typical American Christianity is not sufficient to meet the need of the hour. We need God. To come down. We need an encounter with Him. So this morning, I simply want to preach on the subject, Lord, we need You. Lord, we need You. So let's look together. I want to look at the entirety of this chapter. Isaiah 64. And I just want to warn you, this is a rich passage of Scripture. I mean, rich. And so, uh, there's a lot that could be said, and I'm not going to say it all. But I want to just encourage you to spend some time with Isaiah 64 on your own. And just allow what God says through this passage of Scripture to resonate in your heart. 
If it's physically possible, I invite you to stand with me today in honor and in reverence the reading of God's holy and errant and Bible-inspired Word. Listen to this prayer of Isaiah, verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things, things which we did not expect, you came down, and the mountains quaked at your presence. For from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for Him. You meet Him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you and your ways. Behold, you were angry, for we sinned. We continued in them a long time. And shall we be saved? For all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There's no one who calls on your name who arouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the power of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We're the clay and you're our potter. And all of us are the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Behold, look now, all of us are your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness Zion has become a wilderness, Jerusalem a desolation. Our, be- our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire and all our precious things have become a ruin. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us beyond measure? God, I pray that you would rend the heavens and come down today. I pray that you would show up in this place in a profound and unmistakable way. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that every eye would be able to behold you this morning, that every heart would be touched for you by you. I, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would encounter you this morning so that as we leave this morning, it would be as if we've seen the face of God. Lord, speak to us, allow your word to come alive Change us, mold us, and shape us to the image of Christ, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. invite you to be seated. To summarize the totality of Isaiah 64, Isaiah is praying for an unusual event. He's saying, Lord, we, we need an unusual divine a, a, a event. We're, we're thankful for your steady blessings day by day. We're thankful for the mercy drops. We're thankful for your past work in generations gone by. But these are desperate times. And we, Lord, are in a pathetic condition. And we need your intervention now more than ever before. That was the cry of Isaiah. And I think although he made these This request, hundreds of years before we are in this place, man, we could have said the same things that Isaiah did. Lord, we need an unusual divine event. Have you ever been in a worship service, or maybe it was at a camp meeting, or maybe it was at a revival meeting, and you became aware that you were in the presence of God and you had to do business with Him? 
where it was just, it was just obvious. I mean, God was in that place and he was speaking to you and it was so clear and it was obvious what you needed to do. And you just said, God, here, here I am. Well, that's the kind of intervention that Isaiah is pleading for. And as sure as God intervened in past days, he can do the same now. In fact, God is still coming down in our world today. I mean, it's this, God didn't just come down in times gone by, not just in the Old Testament, not just in the New Testament, not just in the first century, but God's still coming down and working in people today. Take China, for example. Chinese Christianity has grown from about 1 million believers in 1950 to somewhere between 80 and 100 million believers today. And all of that's happening in the face of persecution. All of that's happening when government, government has sought to restrain missionaries and people of God from sharing the gospel. And in the midst of that, in the wake of that, there have been millions come to faith in Christ. God's coming down. And there's nothing any human government can do to stop Him. Nothing. He's making the mountains of human opposition quake at His presence. And through the gospel, He's turning enemies into worshipers. He's turning people that bow before idols into people that bow before Him alone. He's changing people's lives. He's taking those who were addicts and He's making them into people that worship God alone. He's taking hearts that have grown cold and He's igniting them with a passion for Christ. We need God to rend the heavens and come down because much of American Christianity is substandard. The presence and power of God seems to be absent from our churches, from our homes, from our lives. But tragically, we become satisfied with our condition. I'm fearful that in many American churches, the Holy Spirit could not show up and they wouldn't know the difference. Too many in America feel little urging Longing for God. People in churches seem content content to try and do it without Him. To do life without Him. To do what we do without Him. And for some, we're like the church at Ephesus. We've left our first love. We've got sound doctrine. We're performing. We can check off all the boxes on our pharisaical checklist. But love of God, love for God is a memory. We just do what we do because that's what we've done. And it's kind of become a habit. And so we do it because that's what we do. But we have lost a love for God. And for some, we're like the prodigal son. We've taken what we can get from the Father. And we've gone to the far country. And we've wasted our resources with loose living. We got fire insurance. We got the gifts that God would give, and then we've just gone out to do life how we thought we ought to do it. And for some, we become like the church at Laodicea. We've just gotten lukewarm. We don't want to get passionate about Jesus, about following Him, about loving Him, about knowing Him, about serving Him, about sharing Him with others. We just got lukewarm. And we need God to intervene. And it's time for we Christians to wake up to how desperately we need God. 
I don't know about you, but I've become increasingly aware in recent days of how badly I need God. I need God to be a better uh, man, a better husband, a better father, a better pastor, a better preacher, a better neighbor. I need God. And I believe that across this auditorium this morning, that every one of us could use just a little bit more of Him. And honestly, there's some of us, we could use a whole lot more of Him. And I'll be real honest with you, I'll take all of Him He'll give me. That God would rend the heavens and come down. There are three things in this text that characterize this prayer for intervention. I want us to see it together this morning. First of all, notice with me that he remembers God's work in the past. Hey, we like to do that. We like to rejoice in the things that God has done, and as well we should. We find that happening all throughout the Scriptures. Man, if, if, uh, if nothing else, we ought to rejoice in that God saved us if you've been redeemed. I mean, I'm thankful to God back in March of 1991 that God stepped out of heaven and stepped into my heart. I'm thankful that He took me as a sinner and He washed me clean and He he made me as white as the snow and He took off my filthy rags and put upon me the robe of His righteousness and He changed my heart. And hadn't always been what I ought to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. And man, can you think back to a time in your life when God did that in your life? When, when Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and stepped into your heart and He took your sin and he, he washed it away and He placed on you the robe of His righteousness and He indwelt you by His Spirit and He gave you the promise and the assurance and the hope of heaven and your life has never been the same since? Friend, if that hasn't happened, today ought to be the day. But He remembers God's work in the past. Look in verse four, verse 3, I'm sorry. When you did awesome things which we did not expect, you came down the mountains quaked at your presence. For from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for Him. Now what does God's work in the past teach us? I want you to see this because I've never seen it. But notice, what does God's work in the past teach us? Look at verse 3. God's work in the past teaches us not how predictable He is, but how surprising He is. Look at it, verse 3. When you did awesome things which we did not expect. God never acts out of character. God never violates or contradicts His word. But he's never at a loss for new ways to break through. He's never at a loss. Israel was cornered at the Red Sea. They had this body of water in front of them. And Pharaoh's army is bearing down on them. It was a bleak situation. But what happened? The sea opened up. And they walked through on dry ground. Nobody expected that. But sometimes God works in unexpected ways. The whole world was stumbling in darkness with no way forward. What happened? The Savior of the world came. But not like people expected. He came as a baby, born in a stable. Nobody was expecting that. But what happened? God broke through. 
And He brought deliverance for His people. We were condemned in our inexcusable guilt. Without a defense, what happened? Our judge endured our penalty on our cross. Nobody expected that. And there He was, dead and buried. All hopeful expectations that He had created were exploded. What were they going to do? What were we going to do? What happened? He rose from the dead. He ascended to the Father. He began pouring out His Spirit to make murderers into disciples. No one was expecting that. What we learn from God's acts and works in the past is that God does not often move in ways we expect. He moves in ways that are far greater than we could have anticipated. And He's still full of surprises. I don't know about you, but I'm not a huge fan of surprises. And I think that's what makes it hard for us when God moves in unexpected ways. We didn't expect Him to do that. We weren't anticipating that. But He's always full of surprises. And He says right here in verse 4, For from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for Him. Lord, here I am. Lord, here we are. And we're waiting. Christy Knuckles, um, songwriter, singer, penned a song, it's a while back, probably seven, eight, maybe ten years ago. Uh, it's called Waiting Here for You. But is that the attitude of our hearts this morning? God, here we are and we're waiting for you. We're, we're waiting on you to rend the heavens and come down. We're waiting on you to show up. We're waiting on you to change and transform and mold and shape us into your image. You know, no one has ever trusted God in vain. Ever. No one's ever trusted God in vain. We may ask for the wrong things. We may ask with the wrong motives. But we can never ask for what could exhaust His greatness or power. Never. God is not limited like you and I are limited. In fact, let me submit this. And we've learned this if you've been with us on Wednesday nights. The only thing that limits God's breaking through is unbelief. The only thing that prevented Jesus Christ from doing miracles in His hometown of Nazareth was unbelief. It wasn't that He was not powerful enough. It wasn't that He wasn't clever enough. It wasn't that He wasn't wise enough. It wasn't that He wasn't capable. The only reason God didn't do many miracles was because of unbelief. So may I ask you this morning, do you believe that He is able? Do you believe that He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think or do? We'll never ask God to do His, re- His revealed will and hear God say, well, I'll try. 
We'll never hear that. You know, and if you're a parent, you you know, see if you've done this, I've done this. You, your child comes to you and they say, Dad, can we do this? Or Dad, can we go here? Dad, can I have? And we always say what? We'll see. You will never go to your heavenly Father to ask for His revealed will and hear Him say, we'll see. I'll try. He is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or think. We saw it in Ephesians 3 verse 20. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above. Immeasurably more we can ask or think. And so this God who has worked in the past, and He's worked in the past in surprising ways, not expected ways, is still at work today. So the first thing we see about this, inter- this cry, this prayer for intervention, is He remembers God's works in the past. But the second thing we notice in verses 5 and 6 is He confesses their sinfulness. You meet Him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. Behold, you were angry, for we sinned. We continued in them a long time, and shall we be saved? God meets, and notice this in the first part of verse 5. God meets not the brilliant one. He meets not the lucky one. He meets the one who joyfully and humbly goes along the simple, ordinary path of obedience. That ought to encourage you. God meets not the lucky one. He doesn't meet the one who has a certain level of education or whatever. He meets the one who goes on that simple, ordinary path of obedience. You meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness. You know, Israel's problem was they weren't walking that path. In the latter part of verse 5 and then end of verse 6, he laments their sinfulness. And notice in the first part of verse 6 that nobody was excluded. What does he say? Verse 6, for all of us have become like one who's unclean. So there's nobody exempt. All of us. He uses first person plural, us. Himself included. God, all of us have sinned. All of us have followed a sinful pattern. He says all of us have become like one who's unclean. And then he uses four similes to describe their pitiful condition. First of all, we're like an unclean leper. All of us have become like one who is unclean. We're plagued with the leprosy of sin and it's contagious. Our sin, we don't sin in a vacuum. Our sin has effects on others. It has effects on our families. It has effects on our church family. It has effects on our community. We're all infected with sin and it's contagious. The secondly, he says that even at our best moments, when we do what's right, we're not as good as we think or that we might look. All our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. All our, he says, verse 6, all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. 
So again, remember, he's confessing their sinfulness. He's getting honest before God. He is doing what we're later told in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's following the admonition of Solomon, Proverbs 28. He who hides his sin, who covers his sin, will not prosper. But he confesses and forsakes it. He will obtain mercy. And dear friend, let me share with you this morning, as long as you try to cover and hide your sin... You're robbing yourself of the freedom and forgiveness that could be yours if you would just come to Christ and say, God, I've sinned. You're just cheating yourself. You're robbing yourself. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting those around you. You're hurting your family. You're hurting your church family. You're hurting your na- You're hurting everybody around you. So don't cover your sin. Confess it. Forsake it. So first, he says we're like an unclean leper. Secondly, even at our best moments, our righteousness like a filthy garment. But the thirdly, he says our vitality fades away like a brittle autumn leaf. All of us wither like a leaf. We're easily depleted. We just don't last. Some asked a question this morning. You don't need to answer this out loud, but answer it silently. Has there ever been a time in your life where you believed you were closer to Jesus then than you are now? And hey, don't, I'm not asking you to beat yourself up. I'm just asking the question, and it proves the point. You know what? We're easily depleted. Was there ever a time you loved the Lord more than you love Him now? Time you were more committed to the bride of Christ, more committed to the Word of God, more committed to the Great Commission than you are now? We're easily depleted. We're like a brittle autumn leaf. We wither. But God has the solution for that. He just says, return unto me. And you know what He does? He infuses us with strength again. He renews our love for Him again. He causes what, was, what is on His heart to once again become what's on our heart. The solution is not to try and fix it and then come back to Jesus. The solution is come back to Jesus and by His Holy Spirit's work in your life, let Him fix it. But a fourth simile he uses is our iniquities like the wind take control of us and move us in directions we never meant to go and our iniquities like the wind take us away and maybe this morning you find yourself in a place you never expected to be spiritually or maybe a place in your life you know i just never thought i would come here i've listened to people's stories in recent days um, you know, just of their spiritual journeys and various things. And you know what I'm finding out is there are a lot of people who at some point in the past, and some of them recent past, and some of them long time ago past, they found themselves in a place they never thought or dreamed they would ever wind up. But every story, God in His grace has ran to them, reached out to them, called them back unto Himself, and He's redeemed and restored, and He's renewing them. 
And friend, as sure as God's done that for countless others, He will do that for you. And maybe you just, you just wound up in a place you never thought would ever happen to you. And all you have to do is reach out to the only one who can save you. And it's Jesus. And perhaps this morning you've never come to faith in Christ. I mean, you have, you, you've lived a good life and been ethical and all these other kind of things. But you find yourself in a place today you never thought you'd be. A place that's so empty and so alone. And that didn't provide what you thought it would. And Jesus Christ is reaching out to you and He's saying, Come unto me. And He'll meet the deepest desires of your heart. He'll cleanse your sin. And He'll give you a wholeness that nothing in this world could ever provide. Because we can't deliver ourselves, we have to look to the only one who can, and the only one who can is Jesus. So in this cry, this prayer for intervention, He remembers God's work in the past. He confesses their sinfulness, but notice with me in verses 8 and 9. He surrenders to God's authority. This way of praying glorifies God because it expresses our radical need for Him. Verse 8, But now, O Lord, You are our Father, we are the clay, and You are our potter, and all of us are the work of Your hand. We're the clay. He's the potter. And we need His touch to redesign and to reshape and to mold us into the people that He wants us to be. God holds all power over us like a potter over the clay. If you and I are going to become more like Jesus, it will be because of His working in our life, of our surrendering to His authority and Him molding and shaping us more into His image. And so therefore, we ought to seek to be malleable clay that He can shape and mold as He desires. We must understand that what God wants for us is more important than what we want for us. And that, hap- that works um, individually. In your life, in my life, in the people's life around you, we must understand that what God wants for your life is more important than what you want for it. And we have to understand that as a collective body. What God wants for us is more important than what we want for ourselves. He holds all power over us. The greatest prayer that we can pray is for God to do His will in our lives, to do His will in His church, to do His will in this world for His glory, and to do it in His way, to do it by His gospel, and to do it in our generation without restraint. God creates newness out of ruin. When we, the people of God, bow low before Him and we say, Lord, don't restrain Yourself at all. Have Your way with me. Have Your way with us all. And do it freely and entirely. Look at what He says in verse 12. Will you restrain Yourself at these things, O Lord? What is He saying? God, 
Don't restrain yourself. Don't hold back. Don't keep anything back. Come and bring the full force of your will, plan, desire, and mold me and shape me into your image. Just like Israel, we need God's intervention. We need Him to rend the heavens and come down. We need God to break through our apathy, which is kind of like our indifference or lukewarmness. Like, well, you know, hey, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You know, if people get saved, okay. If they don't, well, that's okay too. You know, if you change my life, Lord, if you make me more like Jesus, if you know, well, it's okay. So we need God to break through our apathy, our indifference, our casualness toward Him, and transform our hearts and renew our minds. God, change me so that what is on your heart is on my heart. That what's on your agenda is on my agenda. That what's on your priority list is on my priority list. For what matters most to you matters most to me. We need God to break through. We need an encounter with the Lord. Oh, that God would give us eyes to see our need for Him and hearts that are willing to forsake sin and hearts that are willing to forsake a casual brand Christianity and forsake a me-centered Christianity and plead for the Lord to rend the heavens and come down. This whole prayer is for God to visit us without holding Himself back at all. God is sitting on His throne. Isaiah tells us earlier in chapter 6, He's lofty and exalted. He's holy and He's glorious in His habitation. And we are down here in this muck and mire of indiscretion. We live in this world of wickedness and wretchedness. And we desperately need Him to rend the heavens and come down. We need His presence. We need His power. We need Him to change our normal, ordinary, casual, complacent, Christianity into one that is zealous and passionate and on fire for Jesus Christ. We need His presence and power. Remember, there's not one single thing that the Lord Jesus cannot change, control, or conquer. Legislation, education won't fix our problem. We need redemption. We need renewal. We need restoration. We need revival. We need an encounter with Jesus Christ to help us to get a glimpse of what really matters most. What kind of encounter do you need to have with Jesus today? Have you been saved? You trusted Christ? I mean, can you think back to this time, this moment in your life in which you asked Christ to forgive your sin, come into your life, be Lord, Savior, and in that moment He took your sin, washed it away, and dwelt you by His presence, gave you that assurance, promise, hope of eternal life. If you've never trusted Christ, then my friend, today should be the day. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next Sunday. Not next month, not next year, not some later time down the road. Today is the day of salvation. Never trusted Christ. Man, you need a saving encounter with Jesus this morning. But maybe you have been saved, but you need renewal. 
how maybe the difficulties of this life, maybe, maybe it's just been inattentiveness. Has it weakened your fellowship with Jesus? And you don't love Him like you used to love Him. You're not committed to Him like you once committed to Him. You're not committed to the Bride of Christ like you used to be. not committed to Great Commission like you used to be. You're not desirous of seeing people come to Christ. Not desirous of seeing Him to bring about transformation in your life. Do you need to be spiritually renewed this morning? We want to invite you to come. Because if you'll come to Christ, if you'll draw near to Him, James tells us He'll draw near to us. And Jesus is just waiting on you to come back, to be renewed. Or maybe do you need restoration because there's some area of sin that's gone unconfessed? Did you come to the altar today? And it might not be that you came in here hung over this morning. Maybe it is that you did. But maybe there's a root of bitterness that you need to repent of this morning. Or maybe there's some lust that needs to be repented of this morning. Maybe some gossip or some greed. Would you come this morning? And allow Jesus to restore you. Restore your fellowship. Would you like to see revival and spiritual awakening and spiritual renewal happening in our lives and our families, our church family, our community? Or would you come this morning and pray that God would rend the heavens and come down? Because I believe that if God's people genuinely authentically cry out and desire for Him to do that, and He will answer that prayer every time. Would you pray with me this morning? Bow our heads and close our eyes together. If you've never trusted Christ, we're going to invite you to come this morning. In just a moment, we're all going to stand to our feet. We're going to begin to sing. And we're going to have what we call an invitation. And this is not my invitation. It's not Southeast invitation. It's Jesus' invitation. Jesus invites you to come and to trust Him as Lord and Savior. You say, how do I do that? This is really simple. If you'll just come this morning to one of the three men standing at the front. I'm going to be standing here. Brother Adrian will be here. Shane will be here. If you'll come and say, I need to be saved this morning. I'm ready to trust Jesus this morning. We'll help you. It's very simple. We won't embarrass you. Anyway, we're just going to sit down with you and show you how you can trust Jesus. Do you have an area of sin that you need to get right with the Lord this morning? Would you come and do that? As long as we try to cover and hide and not admit it, we're cheating ourselves of blessing that God is ready to dispense. And so even if it seems like a small thing, there is no such thing. All sin put Jesus on the cross. So I invite you to come this morning. Maybe this morning, hey, you can't really identify anything specific, but you just find yourself in a place you never anticipated or 
Maybe you say, well, I'm just, you know, my love and my commitment, my fervor for Christ, all of that has just kind of faded through the days and I need Him to renew me this morning. Man, would you come? Maybe you'd say, Lord, I, I want exactly what Isaiah wanted. I want to see revival sweep across my life, my family, my church, my community, my nation, my world. I want God to rend the heavens and come down. And so, would you just come and ask the Lord to do that? Would you find a place in this altar this morning and ask the Lord to rend the heavens and come down? You might be our guest. God said He wants you to make Southeast your church home. If He leads you, we invite you to come. We'd love to talk to you about being a member of the family. Father, I pray that you would have your way in each of our lives this morning. God, we pray that even in this moment, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And we'll praise you and bless and honor you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand and we sing. And if God leads today, we invite you to come.